welcome to another episode of Talking With Kevin. Normally it's Talking With Kevin and Son, but this interview is a little bit more, more personal. I have a young man, and the title of this is People You Should Know. This is an extension of Talking With Kevin and Son, but this is someone you really should know. This is a person that has um, gone in one door, and he has stayed there for 28 years, the door of addiction. And he has come out the other door, and he's chose life over his addiction. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce you to Dayton's finest, a pillar of society, a man of his faith, Mr. Gilbert Dwayne Dillard. Welcome to Talking With Kevin and Son. How you doing, brother? I'm doing just fine, uh, Kevin. And uh, you can call me Dwayne. It's okay. All right. All right. I'm du a little more relaxed with that one. <laughs> Dwayne, yeah. I understand you were born in Dayton, Ohio. Okay. You are one of uh, seven children. Okay. Three. Um, you have a bro older sister, Daria. You, you have a brother, um, Dwight. And you have several uh, other brothers and sisters, and I'll name them later. Tammy, Mac, Raymond, uh, Kevin, and um, uh, Rhonda. Um, Dwight and Rhonda are both deceased. Um, you have a story that needs to be told. You have a story that I, I think if there's someone that is sitting in a dark place, trying to overcome some of life's traumas, trying to make a decision whether to live or to die, or trying to make a decision to escape from reality. Mental health affects multiple millions of people. Some of us function with it, some of us suffer from it. Dwayne, what is your story when it comes to how this all began? Take us back from the beginning. Well, um, Kevin, it's like this. Uh, born in Dayton, Ohio, uh, my mother had seven children. Um, but before my mother had seven children, uh, she was married to my father, um, who only had three. Um, and I'm the baby of that first set. Um, my mom and my dad got married at the age of 16. Um, that's when they had their first child. Um, by the time they were 19, they had two more. And I'm the baby of that first set. Um, after they had me, um, their marriage probably lasted three more years. Uh, as a result of that split, uh, I think this is, I just know this by education, okay? that this was my first childhood trauma uh, because mom and dad, when they split, they left us um, with our grandmother. Um, my grandma at the time, uh, we call her Mama Dillard, and I, I love saying her name. Uh, she had just lost her husband, so she was living by herself when uh, uh, us three got dropped off. Uh, well, Mama Dillard couldn't, at the time, couldn't manage uh, financially or emotionally with three runarounds. We, I mean, we were busy little rats back in the day. Mm. <laughs> so she um, gave us to this lady, uh, um, Miss Buchanan, and I, I love her too, uh, who 
adopted kids from the neighborhood. Um, and at the time that we were given to Miss Buchanan, um, she already had nine children uh, living with her. Uh, she really didn't have space for me and my brother, but she took us anyway. Uh, I, I can remember when I when I look back on that, um, my brother and I ate off the same table that we slept on, you know, and that was back then as a kid, you don't recognize it. But as as I grew older, when I learned what trauma was, just the mere fact of mom and daddy leaving um, created trauma. Now, one thing that I've learned about trauma, Kevin, is the fact that when a young child experiences trauma, they don't process it as trauma, but they form behaviors and thoughts. Uh, at that time, I think my thought was nobody wanted me, you know, and I didn't fit in. You know, that was my thoughts back then. Um, so I, I, it was a lot that came, came out of that. Um, Miss Buchanan did the best she could. Um, and me and my brother functioned as the best that we could. I can remember having fun times in that house. Um, there was a big kid named Joseph. Uh, he had a real big head. He was an outcast, but he used to, he used to love on me and my brother, man, you know, and this and is your brother Dwight, right? No, Joseph lived in Miss Buchanan's house. He had a big head, man. Um, that's the kind of, you know, she dealt with those people, the kids that nobody else wanted, really. And so, but this guy was a loving person. I remember him taking me and my brother under his arms and, and, and kind of like making us part of his family. But it was shortly after that, we wasn't there too long, um, when uh, mom and dad, uh, well, dad came back first with his new wife. And, and he came and got my brother and I, he came and got my sister, and uh, we all moved into the, uh, the house with the new stepmom. Now, this uh, is your brother, Dwight, and your, your older sister, Daria, correct? Yes. All right. This is, this is my older sister, Daria, and my brother, Dwight. I'm, I'm the baby of the, the first bunch. Um, so after dad came and got us, um, it was a happy family. Uh, I can remember when he came and got us, she was pregnant and she, um, she was about to give birth. Well, we were there for maybe a couple of years when she had two kids already. Uh, those are my baby sisters, Yolanda and Tanya. And so we were one big happy family because dad would do his thing, man. He would go to work, come home, and he would take us out on Sundays. And, and then all of a sudden, dad started disappearing. Uh, and when he did come home, it was always fussing, fighting, um, chaos, you know, and, and us, I didn't know, you know, uh, uh, really what was going on other than they were mad at each other. But as a result of that, I began to like maybe go into a shell as a little kid. You know, when the fussing and fighting started, I would just go off into my own little space, my own little world. Well, eventually dad left the stepmother. And um, it was like, after a period of time, she got angry at the older three, not her two kids. And she got angry and she would take some of that anger out on us. I can, I can remember, you know, just being a boy, doing boy things, you know, shooting our BB gun and breaking a window. 
and I was put in a room um, with no lights on. And I was made to sit in a chair. Um, and I have to be a little bit more descriptive because you won't see the punishment unless I'm descriptive. Go Not ahead. talking about the way that I was brought up, but in the house, it, it was a low income house and we had rats and we had roaches. And, and I was made to sit in this little chair in a corner uh, upstairs all by myself and with no lights on. And I could hear the rats and I'm, I'm always patting on myself thinking it's a bug on me, you know, and I was made to do that for days in on more than one occasion, you know, and, and not knowing, knowing that was shaping uh, uh, me going inward even more and more and more because first of all, I couldn't tell nobody. You know, we knew in the house, you know, in most households growing up, what stays in the house, what goes on in the house stays in the house. You know, and that's the mentality um, that we had. And so it got a little bit bad for us after my dad left with my stepmother. Uh, I noticed I, I picked up some behaviors. I was, I think I was probably in the first grade and I was walking to school uh, uh, with another group of kids and uh, us fellas, you know, this is my normal gang thing. And they will always tell stories uh, about what they did on the weekend with their father and with their parents. Well, I'm gonna tell you what my weekend looked like. Sitting on the curb, not the steps, on the curb, watching cars go by saying, oh, that's my car, that's my car, me and my brother Dwight. And with the lie, Kevin, that dad said he was coming to pick us up. So from Friday night, so it was time to go to bed. We sat on the curb. We got up early Saturday morning, sitting on the curb until the evening hours when it's time to go in the house again. And the same thing on Sunday. And dad never showed. And every time dad didn't show, it was like more madness for me and my brothers and my sisters. That shaped a lot of me. I, I recognize that behavior because of the part of me that wanted to lie to fit in or to make me think everything was okay. I knew things were chaotic, but I would tell those fabulous lies walking to school and to make myself feel normal and part of something. All the time, I'm in fear of them learning the truth. And what would I be if they learned the truth? And I walked those lies for years um, going to grade school. Well, it finally happened. The good news came. Oh, my God. My mom came back and she came back with a new husband. This is when mom came and took us out of the ghetto. Wow. Out of the <laughs> ghetto. <laughs> 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 took us away from wasn't a bad house. I promise you. I'm not saying that the rats and the roaches made it a bad house because it didn't. That was just some of the living conditions because I know stepmom did her best. My grandma did her best too, you know, but mom took us to the middle-class neighborhood where I had the opportunity to meet my other brothers and sisters. And, and I say my other brothers and sisters because mom never taught us to make a difference. We had the same mother. So therefore that made them my brothers and my sisters 
And that's how I grew up thinking my brothers, my sisters. Well, let me tell you what, when mom came back, I was in the seventh grade. Well, I started, huh? Let, let, let me tie in something to, um, to, to our, our listeners uh, before, and I'm interrupting Dwayne um, Gilbert Dillard. And, and the reason why I'm in, in, interrupting Mr. Dillard, because anyone that's read my book, Indispensable Games of X's and O's, you'll find a similarity to this story. And I, I'm not going to fill in the blanks now, but I, I'm, I'm listening to, to how this brother, my brother, you know, is tying into his story. And then um, I'm just curious about this middle class home that he was brought into. So stay tuned and listen in closely to what this story is about to become. Go ahead, Dwayne. I'm sorry for interrupting you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so I was in the seventh grade. Now, mind me, let me tell you about the middle class home now that you, you mentioned it, uh, Kevin. Um, coming from the, 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 the deep, dark side of the west side of town where we all we saw growing up was pimps and hustlers, uh, prostitutes um, on a daily, daily basis, you know, and, and going to the middle class neighborhood to where we had a quiet street uh, real pretty houses. Uh, there was no rats and roaches in this house. Uh, we had a, a big, pretty backyard, a, a, a big old a porch uh, on the front of the house. We had an upstairs and a downstairs and a big old basement. You know, um, it was all pretty. You know, so we thought we were really, 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 you know, living a new life. And we were living a new life. Mom, um, and my and my 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 father that she was with at that time, they gave us the best of everything. Now, mind me, mom didn't know all the hurt and pain that I was already stuffing, or had stuffed, by the time she came back, and I still had a complex of feeling unloved, having a problem fitting in. But no one picked up on that uh, at that at that time. But I was carrying those feelings. But it was it, it was undiagnosed and unnoticed. What did I do? I was attention seeker. I would um, I would steal. <laughs> I would I kept those habits going. I, I would lie until I met some friends who did the same thing that I did. Now, mind me, these kids in the neighborhood that, that I had met come from good households. But we just wanted to do the wild thing. That's, that's how I look back at it now, wilding out. Um, we, we would start skipping school. You know, and just going, we had a little place called, uh, across the street from my house called Wolf Creek. And uh, we, can go to, we can go down there and act like we're fishing. Now, mind me, Wolf Creek probably had, what, six to eight inches of water, if that? and we were fishing in it and we would play in it man and we would stand on top of the cliff and look down and admire the beauty of the woods while we were ditching school and uh, one day um, one of the guys had a wild idea we had a little store uh, on the corner and uh, it was a one man store but it sold all the little knickknacks of, of a corner store. Plus, it had a, a, a wine and beer cabinet. 
Now, this is in the wintertime in Dayton where everybody's wearing coats. I always had a, a little fast mouth. So they, they said, you do the talking, you distract him, and we're going to go in there and load our pockets up. Well, when they came out of the store, I thought they were getting candy. Guess what they had? Wine, 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 all flavors of these little pint bottles of wine. So where did we go? To my house. This, this is my first drunk. I mean, I drank, I drank, I drank so much. I don't even remember them leaving. How, old, remember, how huh? old were you when you had your first drink? I was in the eighth grade. So um, 14. Uh, maybe younger than that, Kevin. What, seventh? Uh, I don't know. I can't put the age on it. You know, it's about th 13, 14 years old. Depends on when your birthday is. Yeah. Okay. So that was my first drunk. And I don't remember them leaving. I remember mama coming home and I'm passed out on the couch and uh, nobody is home from school yet. I don't know what that is because mama got home at five o'clock. I don't know where everybody was. Oh, she might have came home early that day. And, I, and she she with a loving arm, she grabbed me and said, hey, wake up, son, and got ready to give me a hug and smelt my breath and pushed me down. What have you been doing? She knew I was drunk, Kevin. Hmm. Yeah. And um, she told me to get upstairs and go to bed. But that was the first time I really disrespected my mom, too. And having done it again, well, maybe I have. Take that back. But that was the first time I disrespected my mom because when she woke me up, I said, get up off your ass and fry me some chicken. I don't know who I thought I was, but it didn't go well with mom. Thought you were grown, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, it didn't. Al al alcohol makes you brave, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it it brought something out of me then but i didn't know that this was a beginning episode because i got in trouble for that when mom found out what we did i got in trouble for that and i, I was made to go to school sick i had the dry heat throwing up and everything oh you taking yourself to school and i went to school and i suffered through that but this is at age what 13 or 14 on my 16th birthday, I don't see that you see the pattern on my 16th birthday. Um, my, 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 my dad, my mom's second husband, I call him my dad. I never call him my stepfather. He was always my dad. And he treated us like that. I got dad number one and dad number two. And, and so that's the way mom always taught us. Ain't no step, ain't no half, ain't no division. Either he is or he ain't. That's, uh, did I go there? He is a yank. I'm talking real country now. That's okay. That's okay. This is real. <laughs> but he 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 really took an interest in all the kids. Never made a difference. He celebrated my 16th birthday with me. Mom stayed home this night, and he mom allowed him to take me out. Now he took me to a grown up party at age 16, and he says, "Son," he says. You can have whatever you want to drink, but no no liquor. So what did I do that night? I drank as much beer as I could drink. Daddy brought me home. Uh, it had, I, I don't know what time it was, but he brought me home and flopped me down on the couch because I couldn't do nothing else. But this is the pattern I want you to see that I didn't know at the time was every time I touched alcohol, I took it to the max. And I saw that. So that's when my drinking started, okay? Now, mind me, I did manage to fi finish school, high school, okay? 
And as I finished high school, I joined the service. Oh, don't ask me how this happened either. But I finished high school at age 16. Don't ask me how that. I know how it happened. I went to Louisiana. And I was in a, 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 a double A school compared to the schools that were here in, in Ohio. <clears throat> so at age 16, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm half, half sophomore and half senior in high school. Yeah. So, so did, did, did you just, um, with your Southern upbringing, did you just kind of forget your junior year or were you sober then? I was sober then, pretty much of the, of, of the junior year. But this is what happened. When I was a junior, I was going to school half a day because I had taken those senior courses. And then as a sophomore, I ended up taking junior courses. So when it came time for me to be a senior, I went to school for three hours a day. No, that's all by the grace of God there, because I had nothing to do with that. I didn't. So you were um, a good student? No, I was not either. You'll find that out later on in my story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was good at being passed along in our school system back in them days. And that's how a lot of us got out of school because they just passed us on. You know, um, that's another thing about uh, history. And I'm not going to use that word, but systemic racism and how poverty plays an effect in, in a person's life. You can use that word. We're talking the truth here, Dwayne. Okay. Well, that's what it was back in the schools in our days. You know, uh, it was a predominantly black school and you know, I don't know what the, 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 the curriculum was. Some kids did good and got scholarships. I just wasn't one of them. What was the name of the school you went to? I, um, this, I was at Roth at this time. I got pushed along from, from Garfield, uh, from Westwood, uh, um, pushed along in grade school. Well, grade school, first of all, was McFarland. Then I, I went to the, the middle school, Westwood. From Westwood, I went to Roosevelt. From Roosevelt, I spent a year at Roth. Then from a year at Roth, I went back to Roosevelt. And I might as well throw this in there while you're there so you can look at me real good. Because when I was in Texas, I had to send for my transcripts uh, from high school. Well, guess who loved America? I did. I had flags everywhere. Oh, now you don't know what I'm talking about, right? I know what you're talking about. That's what we call F's on our report card, flags. <laughs> oh, so they weren't red, white, and blue. <laughs> they weren't red, white, and blue. <laughs> but I had F's everywhere. When I pulled my transcripts and they came to me, I'm saying, how did I finish school? I had no clue. Now, I did manage to get a B in gym, okay? <laughs> the rest of them, it, it was more, more flags than D's and maybe a one or two Bs. I have no clue how I finished high school. <laughs> the way it, it's amazing you said um, that you got to be in um, gym. I remember my little brother, our little brother Raymond, came home and he got an F in gym. And um, our father <laughs> said, I have never met a black man that ever failed gym. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead and let you finish your story. Go ahead, man. That's that's a hard one right there. Yep. Yeah. So I did manage to finish high school and join the Air Force. Now, now mind me that that in the Air Force that um, I had just turned 18 and I was in the Air Force the very next day uh, in basic training. 
Um, what a cultural shock. Why'd you go to Air Force? Moving too fast. Uh, when, when I was about to graduate, they came to us and asked us what we want to be. Uh, don't ask me where I got these words from because I had no clue. I said I wanted to be a city planner or a computer programmer. Somebody had told me to say that. And so I'd have no clue what either one of them's job description was. But um, I also was hanging out with some boys that we spent our, our time downtown. And part of the trip downtown was stopping by the recruiter's office. So I got recruited, but they couldn't take me at age 17. So they had to wait till I was 18. So I was kind of like set up for the delayed enlistment is what it was called. And so while I was waiting, the recruiter came to my house. Now, this is when computers were first starting to, to come into existence, period. And this yeah. guy came and said, said hey, so we're going to pay you to go to computer school and we're going to get you a job afterwards. Well, guess who couldn't go? You. Guess, guess who doesn't know technology to this day? Me. Me. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, 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 I'm, I've gotten a little bit better at my new job, which you'll hear about later. But um, that's the opportunity that I missed. But the Air Force was a good opportunity, too. Oh, my God. Guess who was the first? I'm talking about cultural shock. Guess who was the first black man in the hydraulic shop? And that made national news in the Air Force. Raise my hand. Who, who was that? Who, who was the first black man? Me. Who's me? Gilbert who? Gilbert Dwayne Dillard. You're kidding. I'm serious. How how was it during the time I'm I'm taking during the 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 late '60s and the '70s a black man get a position like that in, in a war that we weren't even accepted in? How, how how did that happen? Well, let me say this: them D's I was talking about. Yep, they were in math. <laughs> <laughs> so evidently, I did pretty good on somebody's math tests. Yes. Yeah, because, you know, we had to take a test before we um, went into service uh, to find out where they were going to put us. But, Dwayne, you, you talk about in, in your bio, you had 28 years uh, being addicted. I mean, you, you weren't an alcoholic, you know, not that I remember of. Um, where did your addiction come from? Because right now you're, you're telling me you were passively drinking just for inter entertainment. You're, you're, you're telling me that you experienced a, uh, a childhood trauma, which there are millions of people that suffer from this. And there's millions of people that come out on the other side, and some people don't survive it. You know, you managed to be a survivor. How did it turn into 20, 28 years? Well, that's how it all got started. Uh, those early drunks. Um, when I entered the Air Force, uh, that's when, well, it's part of the story. I was only 18, so I couldn't go in bars, but my best friend worked in the ID department and he made me an ID saying I was 21. So at age 18, I was bar hopping. So another lie. Um, so that's when I started smoking weed and drinking more than ever, not knowing that I had an alcoholic problem. But one of the guys that I hung out with if he didn't have alcohol, he would drink alcohol, rubbing alcohol. So I was, I didn't know I had a problem. I was a young kid hanging out with all these older men. I didn't know I had a problem. I, I was functioning. I was, I was somewhat functioning because I'd get drunk at night and go to work in the morning. You know, I even went to college while I was in the service. You know, a drunk smoking weed. 
Yeah. I didn't finish, but I went. Okay. So, so that ended up with me getting discharged early, um, out of the service because of my drunkenness, um, fighting. Um, at the time I went to Vietnam, I, um, I came back and, um, everybody that I was hanging out with were addicted to heroin. I was doing heroin with them, but they were addicted. I was too young and dumb to get addicted. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Heroin has never released its hold on anyone. It's the, it's the one drug. And I, I just want to let people know that marijuana is not the gateway to um, heroin. Everything that we're talking about, you know, I, I said this early on in the beginning leading into this. We, we, we all have two things in common. 60 seconds, our time. No matter where you're at on this planet of the Earth, 60 seconds here is the same same 60 seconds in, in Japan, Europe, or any place else is what you do with your time. The other two choices are chance and your choices. So, you know, everyone knows that you can't get addicted to, to marijuana. Everyone knows that it is not the gateway to, to harder drugs. But everyone does know that from the first hit of heroin, and let's be honest, that you can get addicted. There's too many people that have lost their life. We don't want to get put out information to let people know that you can take the chance and you can't get get addicted. So let's be honest here. All right, you may it may not felt like you're addicted, but heroin owns its own neighborhood. When you enter that neighborhood, heroin takes a hold of you. It's a landlord that doesn't let you pay your bills. Mm -hmm. It constantly raises the uh, your mortgage. So go ahead. Let's let's go ahead and and, and just be real about how heroin got to to Gilbert Dillard. So so let me back that fact up because when I say my friends came back addicted, they came back looking for heroin to continue their journey in the US. And 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 few of them got busted. My name came up, but I didn't come back with the desire to use heroin. I don't ask me by the grace of God, the gift of God, or whatever, it didn't snatch me. That didn't snatch me, put it that way. All right. Okay. Now, did I continue smoking weed? Oh, yeah. Some of the best stuff when I got back from, from Thailand. Yeah, because Thailand introduced me to Thai stick. What? You know, and I looked for, for the best stuff when I got back. And my drinking got worse. Maybe that was what took me from looking for heroin in the streets, you know, like my friends. You know, so I got saved in that age. But I continued to get in trouble because of my drinking and my drugging. I continue. So I, I was discharged uh, from the service early. Here's God working for me when I, I didn't work for myself because I got out with the honorable. My base commander told me, he said, hey, man, he said, you, 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 you're doing too much and you, you're in my face too much. You know, uh, um, and he says, because of all of the disturbance that you're creating, he said, I'm here. I am again, the first one on the base that he tells we had just got orders from from the government, Congress, to let people out early due to overcrowding because of the Vietnam War had stopped. He told me first, he said, this is your opportunity to get out with all your benefits. I got out. I took his advice. I got out. Me and my bad habits and my 65 Chevrolet Impella. Yeah, that's what I got out with. But. 
I want you to focus on the snowball effect that's happening that we don't see yet. Because if we look at our children, the little habits that they're forming now, watch the snowball effect. You're seeing the big snowball now where I'm getting negative consequences from my choice of using and drinking. That was the first big one. I got saved. Okay. But then it still got worse. I took that to California. I left, I left New Mexico and went to California with Gilbert. Yeah, I took him with me. When I got to California, man, look. I don't know how this good stuff keeps happening to me like it's happening to me now. But when I got to California, I landed a job making 50000 a year in the oil fields. And here I am, just barely 21. I'm making 50000 a year in the oil So guess where my first promotion came from? Party animal me. I party so much, I got introduced to this other thing called speed, black beauties. And these black beauties, they do something to the brain, man. You can think. And you can stay awake for days at a time. You know, I'm not, I'm not glorifying drugs. I want y'all to know this is the sickest thing. But I got paid as a result of that. I memorized everybody's social security number inside of three days. Got me a promotion. They had no clue that I was standing up smoking weed and drinking all night, popping pills. This is the snowball effect. Before I got introduced to that real devil called crack cocaine. Oh, I got you now. When I met him, oh my God, I lost that $50,000 a year job. I had, thank God he allowed me to stay there for 10 years. Yeah. But I ran, I didn't get fired. I didn't get laid off. They didn't even know. Well, they did know I had an addition because they sent me the treatment once, you know, uh, uh, Christmas, Christmas Eve, uh, my, my dealer's having a, a, a cocaine party. Shut up. $2,000 buy-in. And you get to stay there and do all the drugs you want all the way up until New Year's Eve. Well, I took a vacation, cashed in my stocks and bonds, and I paid my dividends to get in. When I left there, I owed him 4000 Yeah. New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, I'm due back at work. I can't function. I'm a ball of nerves, shaking, can't think, can't move, body twitching, brain out of whack. And I'm supposed to go to work. That's the night, that's the first time I asked for help. And they sent me to a treatment center, my company. Yeah, they sent me to a treatment center. That was the first one. Okay, here we go. You don't know my story. 13, 14, 15, 16 treatment centers. I lost count. Okay. I'm going to get to that part too. You'll learn, you'll learn all about this. I lost count. So finally, after this long, I'm, I'm into my 30 year probably uh, of my addiction now. Uh, homelessness, prison numbers, lost my family. Uh, Stop. Lost my friends. I can remember when I first got married, I, I had my kids. I remember the dream that I had. You know, uh, wanting a wife, uh, wanting to buy a house, wanting to buy the picket fence. Well, guess what? I, I got the wife, made the kids, and left them all. I left my, my first two kids. Yeah. Oh, I left the first three. Take that back. It's three of them. 
I got three girls, beautiful girls today. Three girls. That's Go what ahead, take in, inhale. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just take a breather. Um, to our, to our listeners, you know, we have a lot of people that listen to us that um, connect to the stories we tell and the people we know. If you have someone out there that you know that needs help, do not stand on the sideline and watch the accident happen. Get in the way, stand in front of it and get them help. Get the family together and get them help. Google resources, go to Alcohol Anonymous, go to the local treatment center, call your counselor at school if they're too young. Don't pretend like it doesn't exist. Don't pretend like it doesn't happen to you. I want you to listen to Gilbert's story because his story is my story. His story is your story. You know, here he is right now. We're talking about addiction um, or life. You know, he's, he's painting you a very clear picture of what addiction is. And as we follow him down this road, of what could have been the end of his life, I will tell you, there's light at the end of this tunnel when it comes to Gilbert's story. So we've just given him a little time to gather his, his, his story. I'm actually surprised I, I, I'm not in the same position, but one of us has to talk because, you know, there are people on the podcast that are listening. There are people that are going to be on YouTube is going to be watching. And, um, you know, this is hard for him to, to share. But I'm going to tell you, Okay, you don't hire a travel agent to send you someplace they haven't been. And you don't buy a motivational book for someone to tell you how to do something when they haven't done it themselves. Gilbert has a message for you. His story is your story. Gilbert, are you ready? Yes. Go ahead. I never wanted to hurt my family. I love my family. And I say that because for the listening ear right now, you need to know if you, and I know this thing affects 99% of every family. What does that tell you about America? Some shape, form or fashion, whether it's mental health or substance use issues, it affects every family. And we, and, and you need to know that when I got sick, I made my family sick because they wanted to know what was wrong with me. They were trying to fix me. They couldn't fix me. And I made them sick trying, or I made them hate me trying. I created the monster. So you need to know if you're feeling a certain way because of whatever, remember you're responding to someone that's sick. Don't get sick with them. That's my first advice to you. Don't get sick with them. Kevin said the best thing, get some resources, get some education. You're going to find out this about me. After I entered my last uh, treatment center, uh, I was in Dallas, Texas, and I was at the uh, Salvation Army. I got sent there. (laughs) Why would he drop me in a church for recovery? What? I wonder. But I was in there. I had just graduated the uh, the 28 day program. And I'm going to talk about that little word, 28 day, too. I just graduated the 28 day program and I was waiting for housing. So they sent me to the Salvation Army. Uh, the Salvation Army that I was in housed 1800 people a day. They fed them breakfast, lunch and dinner. 
and they had church 365 days a year and twice on Sundays. Well, I know at that point, I didn't want to go outside. Why didn't I want to go outside? Because I wanted to get better. What was outside that homeless shelter was everything that I like. The drugs, the alcohol, the drama, the big butt girl. It was all out there calling my name, but I knew what was calling my name was killing me and I wanted to live. I ran into a man uh, at the Salvation Army, um, 30 years younger than me. This man came alongside of me. Mind me, I met him in prison probably two years before and um, we were in the same cell. And I was coming out of the Salvation Army, he was going in and we both did a flip. And from that point on, my recovery journey started, thank God. I had wanted that. I did not want to use drugs the last 15 years of my life. I didn't want to, but I didn't know how to stop. And this man came into my life he was two years into his recovery process after he got out of prison. I got out of prison and did the fool. But he walked alongside of me. He says, come on, hang out with me. I'm going to introduce this word to you early called peer support. At that time, it wasn't called peer support. Anybody that knows anything about the recovery rooms, uh, Bill Williams and, 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 and Dr. Uh, uh, they knew what it was then, the, 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 the capacity that two people with the same experience can help each other get better. Dr. Bob. But Emmanuel came alongside of me, 30 years younger than me, and said, come on, man, hang out with me. This guy, he was, he was doing all his IOP, which is intensive, in, intensive outpatient program, he was working full time. He was part worship leader of the church. And he was running a recovery house. And he was trying to get his kids back in his life. And he was doing all this on the bus. Me and this guy traveled for two, probably about a year before he got his first hoopty. Hello. Hmm. You know, so we were able to ride. But we hung together. He belonged to this right here. Let me tell you something about this program right here called the Winner's Circle. This organization is called a peer support network. Is, is there a web link or, or something you can direct our people to? Uh, peer, winner circles are almost in every state because that's the way they operate. I know there's one here in Columbus. Uh, there's one in Houston, Texas. There's What's one the in one in Columbus? The one in Columbus, I Google Winner Circle, Columbus, Ohio. All right. Yeah. Winners with apostrophe S, Circle, Peer Support Network, Columbus, Ohio. Yes. So he introduced me to this group, which he was a part of. In Texas, they traveled to every prison and started a Winner Circle group inside these prisons. Now, mind me, these guys are so um, committed that they just don't let anybody in. I, they made me travel with them for six months and never say a word. So, wait a minute. This ain't my first time telling my story. I've told this, not this much of the story that you're getting, snippets. 
to fit the occasion. But this guy that I was running with, Emmanuel, took me to all these places. This winter circle, and they told me, he said, man, he said, you, you ain't ready. I said, miss, you can't tell me I ain't ready. I got God on my side. I'm doing this with God. You ain't ready. He said, you got another round to go. I said, what you talking about? I got another round to go. I'm living clean. No, you ain't got it all. And you guess what? And this is, this is what honesty can help a person in recovery. If we just be honest with them, don't beat them up. Don't be harsh with them, but just tell them the plain truth and back off. That's what they did to me. They gave me the plain truth. He said, you got some behavior issues going on over here that you haven't fixed. You got one more in you. A year later, I relapsed again. Yeah. <laughs> My friend Emmanuel did not give up on me. The winner circle did not give up on me. They supported me on my journey. This is the word where the word peer support comes in to be, have a real true meaning because we don't give up on people. We know the struggle. Some people's struggle is a relapse. Some people can get it on the first time, but that's a rare number. Some people might have to do this two or three times. You don't have to be like me and do it 16, 17, 18 times. Come on now. All right. But this guy worked with me, man. He worked with me. And they helped me look at my bad attitude. I had a bad attitude. You couldn't tell me nothing. I knew it all. I didn't want to do what nobody told me to do. I didn't do what my counselors told me to do. I didn't do none of that. So while I'm at the Salvation Army and I, I have this awakening to where I'm saying, okay, I've done everything I wanted to do and nothing God wanted me to do. And I began to fight one night by saying, okay, God, I'm going to do things your way. Now, mind me inside the rooms, we don't talk like this. I can talk like this because I'm on the air right now. But um, they don't go together. What I had to learn was that they do go together. When I quit wanting to be hip, slick, and cool, when I dealt with my anger issues, I had anger issues because I was mad because I sat on that curb. I didn't know I had anger issues for sitting on that curb, but it came out in other ways. I would snap at people. Oh my God, where'd that come from? So by the grace of God, I didn't get kicked out of the Salvation Army when I relapsed. Matter of fact, it took me to, to another step. It took me to seeing a psychiatrist. Now, black man, you ain't gonna hear them talk about seeing no psychiatrist. Shut up, we don't do that, okay? Bless your heart. <laughs> As the Southern people say, bless your heart. <laughs> I, what they gonna tell you, what, if you got a behavior problem, you gonna get told, shut up, sit down, be quiet. <laughs> That's our therapy. But this psychiatrist, um, I thank God for him because he had me go back and find out where this anger came from. And it came from my childhood. So now I'm going to toss another word out there at you called ACE. A-C-E. Adverse childhood experiences that shapes a young person's thought pattern. It shapes their behavior according to what's happening around them. So I thank God for this psychiatrist who diagnosed me as bipolar manic depressant. I had racing thoughts. My mind travels very fast. He had to slow me down. Yeah, he put me on some meds. I stopped having the racing thoughts. 
calm down, but I still had some work to do. I had to work on my attitude. Yeah. When I look back, I can find out every area God was working in my life when I didn't work for myself. When I was hungry, he fed me. There was a lady named, uh, we called her the, the chicken woman. This woman had a heart for, for people of the streets. She had a heart. She would go out to, to, to the chicken places, gather up all the chicken. And then when we knock on her door at five o'clock in the morning, this woman come downstairs in her robe and house shoes, go to her garage, unlock the door, give us a bag of cold chicken. Fed me when I wouldn't even feed myself. This is where I'm at today. Because I know if it hadn't been for these people that had a special heart for hurting people, I wouldn't be here. I would not be here. That's when I made up my mind, I'm gonna start doing things God's way. Now, I don't know why this rodeo for me has to go back and forth like it did, but I had five years clean. Let me tell you about them five years clean. Wait a minute, let, let, me, let me do this, because we're, we're running long, all right? You had 28 years mm. of being handled by mm. something that had you, that owned you. Right. You have an anniversary date of November 2nd, 2015. Yes, sir. That you've been freed, and I will say freed from the devil's will. Mm hmm Now, this is hard for me because you, 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 you told a part of the story about your family, you know, that I don't think our family knows this. And if, for those of you who have been listening, I've called this young man my brother multiple times. My oldest sister, Daria. Our late brother, Dwight Antoine. My elder brother on this interview, Gilbert. Dwayne Dillard. My brother, Leroy. McLemore Jr. My twin sister, Tammy. McLemore my deceased, our deceased sister, Rhonda, our baby brother, Raymond, Anthony, our sisters, Tanya and Alanda Dillard. You know, there was never one time that we hated Gilbert Dillard. That may have been the demon. We didn't know how to help him. I remember times as I started to do well, Dwayne would call me and he would tell me that he was in Pennsylvania and I would ask where he was at and I would tell him it's four or five hours away because we didn't know how to deal with his uh, addiction and his behavior. We knew who Dwayne was, but we didn't know who Dwayne was when the alcohol, the cocaine and heroin had Gilbert Dillard. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna tell you, several years ago, our oldest brother, Dwight Antoine Dillard, lost his battle with cancer. I watched Dwayne come home from Texas and he drove nonstop from Texas to Dayton, Ohio. Did not leave our older brother's side. I watched him carry him to the bathroom. I watched him clean his brothers after having uh, exposed himself to the contents of his, his body. Something I will tell you, I don't know if I was strong enough to do. You know, when you have your faith, miracles do happen when you believe. And when you give yourself to a higher power, 
miracles are allowed to manifest within in yourself. Now Gilbert Dwayne Dillard right now when you talk about addiction to life he's a certified recovery coach. The reason why I had him on here because it was personal because his story needs to be told. I keep telling me he should write a book. He is now making uh, footprints in the sand for other people to follow. Don't feel like you're the only person. If you read my book, some of the story Dwayne told me um, today, or told us today, I didn't know. Some of the feelings he felt when he felt that he wasn't good enough and he was abandoned, I had the same experience. I know what it's like to sit on the curve and wait for my father to come home. I also know that the man that we both love that put us in that middle class home. I always thought I grew up in the hood until I went to um, Cleveland and found out what the hood really looked like. <laughs> um, and I'm glad my brother straightened it out. 559 Cedarhurst, we had a blast as kids. We had a blast. We have great relationships um, with our neighbors on, on, on there, except for Mr. Wills. I don't think he liked any of us. <laughs> but I, I will say, you know, my brother is doing great work at the Salvation Army. I know every Sunday my brother's doing great work, you know, teaching Bible studies. I know my brother's doing great work at Good Goodwill Easter Sills as a certified peer counselor. Do me a favor, before we end this, tell us a little bit more about what you're doing here, because now you've chose life. Tell us about the life that you're living, Dwayne. Well, um, Salvation Army is my church. Um, people don't know Salvation Army is a church. They teach the Word of God. They're a church first. We believe if you feed a person, clothe a person, they might be receptive to the Word of God. Um, this thing called peer support, I am a certified peer recovery supporter and recovery coach. I do work at Goodwill Easter Seals, Miami Valley, which is a, a, a place uh, where people um, coming from the challenged community can come receive services. Uh, we have 40 different programs to help a person navigate uh, toward a positive lifestyle. My job as a peer recovery supporter is to help them engage and maintain the recovery process, hear this word from whatever. Most people hear recovery and they think substance use and mental health disorders. No, it's a lot bigger word. I might need to recover from a broken heart. I might need to recover from hanging out with the wrong people. I might need to recover from working the wrong job. I might need to recover because I got some health issues. We look at the whole person. My job is to be resourceful, knowledgeable enough to help that person navigate to where they want to be. We found out. There's a path of least resistance when a person is doing what they want to do compared to when you're telling them what to do. We come alongside of the POs. We come alongside of the judges. We come alongside of that psychiatrist, that, that clinician, that counselor, because they'll tell a person what to do. We'll find out what those to-dos are, and we'll help them motivate. And we'll help them find out what they want to do. And we'll walk with them side by side, never giving up. I don't care how many times you fall in, how many times you fall out. We're going to be there. That's what a peer supporter is all about. Now, mind me, I found out what took me so long 
because I never educated my mind. I, I, I kept the memories of the streets, the fast lane. I never put nothing new in my brain. So every time I got clean, it was easy for me to go back. We understand this now. Families that's trying to help other peers. My, I say we can't help them until they're ready. But what I can do is be there for you. So I need to educate myself on how to deal with you. Now, sometimes that you hear the word tough love, tough love don't always work. I need to know how to combat this thing called addiction. Oh, I need to know how to support you when you're dealing with your mental health issues. So I need to educate myself, educate how to help without hear this word, telling them what to do, because that's when they run. When they say you need to quit drugs, why can't you stop using? Well, why are you acting that way? What's the reason why they act in that way? Find out what that is. Talk to them without judging them or putting them down or pushing them further, further away. That way, you know what? That's how we make y'all sick. We make y'all sick because now I don't want to bother with him. He's going to steal my purse. And that's the truth. We sure will. You better hide your purse. Protect yourself. Yeah. Oh, oh he's just coming around because he wants some money. Yes, I am coming around because I want some money. Educate yourself on how to deal with me when I ask you for some money. Because you don't have to give me no money. Well, I'm not giving you for that. You know, it's the way you say it and how you say it that's going to either help them or destroy them. I've had to educate myself. This is why I'm able to do what I do today. I attend, I, I, I work a 40-hour work week. I promise you, my organization, Goodwill Easter Seals, Miami Valley, they encourage us to get educated. Out of my 40-hour work week, I know I'm in education five hours a week, every week, at least. Because this is what's going to help me help somebody else. Uh, people that's out there in the audience, this is what's going to help you help them by educating yourself, protecting yourself. You don't have to succumb to our desires, but it's a way that you can hold us off and not be defensive, not be destructive. It comes with educate. Cert look up peer support because you, you're one and don't even know it. Look that up and see what it means. I know here in Dayton, Ohio, we combat this opiate thing. We're number one, Montgomery County. Y'all look us up. We're number one. We learn to work together. All of our community organizations, the Adamus Board, um, the recovery centers, um, we created the uh, STOP team. These people go out into the neighborhood where the addicts and alcoholics live and befriend them and let them know when you get ready, here is the treatment center we have over here for you. The 115 Project in Dayton, Ohio, the uh, the, 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 the uh, Access Treatment Center, uh, Goodwill Easter Seals for peer support and behavioral health. We even have a thing called the Goodwill Easter Seals in Miami Valley. We have a thing called recovery and employment. We can get you a job. So, so it's, this is about learning how to help people that's suffering with mental health and substance use issues because it's a bigger picture. I remember, I never forget this, Kevin, that mama told us when we was little. It's the reason why the man is sitting on the curb. It's the reason why the man is in the White House and I need to be able to talk to them both. And with, with that said, Dwayne, our listeners have sat for a long time, a lot longer than most podcasts and they've come back to listen to part one and part two and they're, and they're replaying it again. 
how do people reach you? Because we do know that we're working on, on, on your book. We also know that you're a paid speaker. You know, we're not doing this for free. You're an influencer. How do people reach you? I would say contact my little brother uh, first. Uh, if you want to reach me personally, I don't know nothing. I, I, I just know how to help people engage recovery and maintain recovery. Then with, with that said, for those of you, this um, episode of Talking With Kevin and Son, and this is Talking With, W-I-T, Kevin, and people you should know. We got a chance to, to know my big brother, Dwayne. We introduced him as Gilbert Dwayne Dillard. You can reach us at www.rmkproductions.net or go to our YouTube page and go to RMK Productions and Network and subscribe and follow. I just want to say to all of our fans, all of our listeners, and all of our new friends that have sat in and listened, remember this. Education is not designed to be comfortable. Education is designed to make you think. And words have to have action behind them in order for things to change. But you've got to be open to change like Gilbert says. You've got to be ready. If you're not ready, no matter how much outside forces try, if you're not ready, nothing's going to change. And you can only allow something to hold on to you as long as you're holding on it. it. You can only be free if you're free from your demons. As our grandfather um, Joseph Phillips would say, when you get to a point that you can help someone, it is your duty. I'm an example of my big brother um, Dwight. I'm an example of my older sister Daria. I'm an example of my big brother Dwayne and brothers and sisters because we were all taught to have a strong faith and we all know the meaning of service. So adopt this hashtag. Find 1,000 reasons to be kind to someone. Yes. Reach one, teach one. Fade to black and we're out.